0: Genesis 32, verses 6 through 32, starting in verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good, do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent from my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh.
1: Good morning. We are in our final sermon in our series on seeking and enjoying God, and we've been saying when we enjoy our relationship with God, uh, many of our doubts cease, we trust him more, and we have strength to face life's challenges. So we've been asking, how do we seek and enjoy God? Uh, today's passage is a story of Jacob wrestling with God, and it's easy to miss the real point of the story, to think that the point is struggle to overcome uh, or keep up the fight, but that's not, that's not it. That's not the main point. The story is about our deep existential longing for God's blessing. Now, blessing in the Bible is a much richer concept than the way that we use it today. All right? Today it's like a hashtag, um... Blessing is not just some nice thing you say or feel it's a life-changing declaration of God's favor and affirmation Uh, And it can satisfy your souls and it can transform our lives. So some background on the story So one of the main storylines in genesis is how God promises to bless Abraham and his family and to make them a blessing to all the world And jacob and his brother esau are the sons of isaac who's the son of Abraham. Now, Esau was a strong and hairy man, a skilled hunter. He's the kind of guy who eats what he kills. Um, In contrast, Jacob was a smooth-skinned man. Literally and figuratively, he was slippery. So Jacob was everything Esau was not. Esau had strengths valued by society, um, but Jacob was puny and scheming and conniving. And he was a dishonest swindler. Jacob is one of the most despicable characters in the Bible. We'll see. And yet, God blesses him. So we're going to look at three things as we look at this story. The problem of striving, the need for blessing, and how we get it. So problem of striving, the need for blessing, and how we get it. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would... Pour out a blessing upon us as we dive into your word. Lord, reveal to us the truth of who you are, that we would be transformed by your steadfast love and goodness. Amen. Okay, so first, the problem of striving. All of Jacob's life has been about striving. He was constantly deceiving, constantly cheating others, constantly striving, and constantly disappointed. So he strove for his father's affection for romantic fulfillment, and for financial success. We're going to look at all three of those. So first, Jacob strove with his brother Esau for their father's affection. Um, They have a number of brotherly conflicts, um, but the most significant was when Jacob stole Esau's blessing. So when Isaac is nearing his death, he tells Esau, go out, go hunting, hunt me some game. When you return, I'm going to give you the blessing of the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn. But while Esau is out hunting, Jacob dresses up like Esau, and he goes in to get the blessing, and he gets it. Now, of course, later, Esau shows up ready for his blessing, and Isaac suddenly realizes what's happened. And the text says that he trembled in terror, and he said, I can't give it to you. I can't revoke the blessing I gave to Jacob. And Esau was furious, so he vows to kill his brother as soon as Isaac died, which is imminent, right? Um, So Jacob fled for his life to Haram, uh, where his uncle Laban lived, and he didn't return for decades. So this was Jacob's first disappointment. Striving with his brother forced him to flee for his life. He lost his relationship with his mother. He's on the run, in danger. He's a man without a home. So he got his father's blessing, but he lost everything else. Um, so second, Jacob strove for romantic fulfillment. So after Jacob fled to Haram, he falls desperately in love with Rachel. Uh, and he offered to work for seven years as a bride price for her. And, you know, for some context, that's an extraordinary offer for the time. Um, so he, he tells his uncle Laban, um, but he was so lovesick that he didn't realize that his uncle didn't actually agree to the to the contract Laban merely said well it's better that I give her to you than to somebody else which is not technically a yes um, but Rachel I mean what a woman so he's just he's all in he, you know minor detail she's going to satisfy him so he works for seven years and after that seven years it's time for Jacob to claim his bride Right? Like, this is what he's been waiting for this is what he's been busting his back for and you know it's dark at night and the bride wears a veil and Laban sends in the older daughter, Leah, who is not drop-dead gorgeous like Rachel. But Jacob doesn't realize it's Leah. And the text reads, when the morning came, behold, it was Leah. Now, behold, it was Leah. It's, that's more than a narrative description of what happened. Uh, there's one person who says that this is the biggest understatement in the whole Bible why? Okay, got some chuckles. So maybe you know where this is going. But let's let's look at what's going on. Jacob is looking for true love for Rachel to satisfy him, right? She's gorgeous. And right. So this is it, right? He's thinking, I've got the thing that is going to complete me. I've got the most beautiful woman in the world. My life is right. But it's Leah. And you might think, well, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. He didn't get Rachel. But no, it turns out Rachel's going to let him down too, because whatever we are searching for, whatever we are putting all our hopes on, it's always Leah. Okay. So eventually Jacob does get Rachel as his wife. And at that point, his life is an even worse mess because now he has two wives and this creates jealousy and strife between the two wives because there's one he loves and he hates the other. Right. And so, you know, every example of polygamy in the Bible only ever depicts chaos and destruction and bad stuff. So his family's a disaster, right? Not only that, right? He favors Rachel's child. So that poisons the whole family against Joseph. So they all hate each other, right? His whole family life is a mess forever. Behold, it was Leah. And that's the biggest understatement in the Bible because we are all striving for something that we think will satisfy, but in the morning, it is always Leah. So Jacob strives and experiences another great disappointment. So finally, Jacob strove with his uncle Laban for financial success. So we saw how Jacob got out schemed by Laban over Rachel. So to get back at Laban for all this, he devises a scheme to uh, for his flocks to prosper at the expense of his uncle's, and it works. And Jacob becomes phenomenally successful. And as a result, Laban and his family begin to resent him because he's rich and Laban's not. And, uh, and so Jacob has to flee again. But as they leave, Rachel, right, the hope of his heart, she steals Laban's family idols. And uh, Laban is ready to kill Jacob because of the missing idols, right? Anyways, look, L- Rachel, Jacob's wife whom he loves, worships idols. And Leah, the one he rejects, she's the one who worships the Lord. Right. Jacob strove for a beautiful wife, but he rejected the one who's faithful to God. And the one he wanted now is going to get him dead. So now we're up to today's passage. Jacob's finally returning home. He's prosperous, but he knows he's going to have a showdown with his brother Esau, whose blessing he stole, who's angry. So Jacob sends an envoy ahead to speak with Esau and they tell him Esau is coming with 400 men. In other words, with a small army. So Esau, who vowed to kill his brother, has a military. So Jacob devises a plan. He'll send messengers ahead with lavish gifts in hopes of you know, bribing his brother, and he'll split his people and his belongings in two right, to sort of diversify. So if, if Esau attacks one, the other can get away. And it's the final scheme of his life, and now he's alone. And this, this is really a crucial moment. Jacob is completely alone. He's powerless to do anything. Everything he's worked for is about to be washed away. All he can do is wait and hope for the best. His family, his possessions, everything is about to get clobbered by his brother's army. All his striving is for naught. And look, Jacob has been completely successful in all his striving, right? He got his father's blessing. He got the beautiful wife he wanted. He earned himself financial wealth. But none of that is enough. He succeeded, but it's not enough. They mean nothing before this armed, angry brother of his. Have you ever been in the same position as Jacob? Do you think career success will prevent illness? Or do you think having the right job or having a great body will ensure that your children don't screw up their lives? Will your reputation protect your family from disaster? Our achievements in life cannot ultimately save us. Not too long ago, I had an annual medical checkup, and you know they have you fill out these forms, and one of them is, "Are you depressed?" Like you know, 20 times they're like, "What about now? How about now?" And um, <laughs> it's like really clear. Um, that's what they wanted. And so I was chatting with the doctor. It was the first time I'd seen this, and he told me, "Yeah." You Williams professors must be really stressed out um, because there are a lot of you who are depressed and anxious. I was like, really? I mean, I'm sure like HIPAA, he shouldn't have been saying any of this. But, um, but then he said, well, you know, it's not so much people your age. It's, it's people in their 50s. They're, you know, they're a mess. But he goes, anyways, you must have a lot of stress at work, huh? And, uh, and I realized, I was like, this has nothing to do with stress at work. Because if you're a professor at Williams in your 50s, you've made it. You have tenure, which means you can't be fired, so you have job security for life. You've basically reached your career climax, so there's no more striving to build up your reputation. There's no stress in your job. You've made it. So why would you be more depressed in your 50s than in your 30s? It's because now you know none of it satisfies. It's not enough. Career success, being at the top of your field, being respected by students and colleagues, it's not enough. You thought your career was Rachel, but it was Leah. They've climbed the mountain, and all there was at the top was another mountain to climb. And they're depressed in their 50s because now they know they aren't going to reach a peak high enough to satisfy. They're all Leah. You know, when you're young, maybe you can kid yourself that you'll reach a higher peak eventually. Um, right. Or the current peak will last long enough that it'll, you know, it'll satisfy you forever. But my colleagues in their fifties, they know apparently it's not enough. And so apparently they're depressed. Now, if you think to yourself, Craig, I could have told you career success won't satisfy. Nice story about your colleagues, but that doesn't apply to me. Look, don't you realize there is something in our lives that we are striving for and it's not enough. Maybe it's not career success but we have some Rachel that's really Aaliyah. If you look to your kids to fulfill your deepest needs, they won't. Use your kids to get your blessing in life, and you will probably turn them away from you. The worst thing for your kids is for you to build your lives on the foundation of them. If you look to your marriage to fulfill your every need, it can't. No spouse can bear the eternal pressure of being the source of your divine blessing. And they will let you down, and your demands on them will crush them. No human can bear that. If you look to your physical fitness, how beautiful you are, I gave up on that a long time ago, whatever it is, it cannot save you. Your looks will leave you. Your body will decay and die. It's not enough. Eventually, you will learn that there is nothing at the top of the mountains. If you let those good things be good things, you will enjoy them. But if they're ultimate things, if they're your ultimate, one day they will crush you. Jacob's striving was never enough. The need was always there. He was always alone. No matter our success or our striving, we cannot ultimately get what we need. But Jacob is about to get it. This is where the story takes a dramatic turn. So second, the need for blessing. So now Jacob is alone and out of nowhere, a man initiates a match and wrestles with him throughout the night. Then the man realizes he cannot overpower Jacob. So he touches Jacob's hip. Now, this Hebrew word is literally something like lightly taps. he, He can't overpower Jacob, so he lightly taps Jacob which might seem like a strange strategy to you if you can't overpower somebody you're wrestling with. Um, But Jacob's hip is wrenched out of its socket, right? And Jacob suddenly realizes that he's wrestling God himself. And the next thing that happens, the man says, let him go for it's almost daybreak, right? And you might wonder "What's, what's going on there. Throughout the Old Testament, nobody can look on God's face and live. God is utterly holy and good and we are not, but Jacob doesn't say, ah, get away from me. I want to live. Instead, he clutches to the man and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Right? The man who just crushed his tip hip with a tap, he clutches to. Right? He just had this man supernaturally wound him. If he looks on his face, he will die. And Jacob says, I will not go unless you bless me. Jacob is willing to risk his life to get God's blessing here. What is going on? Jacob has spent his entire life striving. But now he realizes that in all his striving, what he's really desired was God's blessing. The striving for his father's affection, for romantic love, for financial security. It's all been a misguided attempt to get what only God could give him. His deep need was for God's blessing, and he learns it's always been for God's blessing. If he gets God's blessing now, it's okay if he loses everything else in his life. It's okay if he loses his life. This passage is the climax of Jacob's life, which means it's the defining event of everything that has come before and everything that comes after. And that's the point. Jacob has always strove for blessing. Now, I said, blessing in the Bible is much richer than we use it. It's not just what you say when somebody sneezes. The Bible knows that we all desperately need somebody or something from outside to validate us, to tell us we're okay. Now, right away, you might think, um, no, I don't. I don't need to live for anybody else's approval. right?" Because our society says what matters is what you think about yourself. Nobody can tell you how you ought to feel about you. You define who you are, right? So look at your achievements or look to your true self um, and decide for yourself that you're good enough. Decide for yourself that you're good enough. We all know that won't work, right? I mean, just try it sometimes. When you're feeling like you're a failure, just decide to feel differently, right? Look inside, and when you don't like what you see, pretend that you like what you see. Right? That's the whole point. We don't. We don't even live up to our own standards of approval. As much as we'd like to be free from outside approval, we know we need it. That's why we can't stop working. That's why we can't stop worrying what other people think. That's why we're anxious parents. We need something from the outside to validate us, to bless us, to say, you're okay. This is the problem, and we all know it, and this is why society tells us don't look to others. Whatever we want to bless us controls us, right? If we need the approval of something outside of us, then that thing owns us, right? That's why society says don't live for anybody else's approval. Live for your own approval because whatever you look to owns you. For example, if you live for your parents' approval— If you let their hopes and their dreams define you, then you will be dominated by their desires for you and their expectations will crush you. Or if you live for your friend's approval, you won't be able to take criticism. You won't be able to tell them the truth when it hurts. You'll be constantly controlled by the crowd, swayed by your peers, and you'll get swallowed up in what others want for you. The problem is we do need external validation. We need approval from somewhere. We can't just manufacture it ourselves. But everywhere we look, it either oppresses us or leaves us empty. We need approval, but we need approval that will satisfy us and that won't oppress us. We need somebody greater than us and better than us to look down and say, you matter. You're good. Jacob wanted this so badly that he desired to hear his father's blessing even though it was all under false pretense. Right? Jacob knew the blessing was meant for his brother. He knew that Isaac in his heart would have Esau in his mind and Esau in his heart as he pronounced the blessing. But he still wanted to hear his father's blessing. Even just hearing his father say it was worth destroying his relationship with the rest of his family. And now Jacob apparently has it all. Beautiful wife, many sons, financial success and prosperity. But he realizes that all his accomplishments and success mean nothing. They can't protect him from Esau. And he's willing to die to, get ev- to give up everything to get God's blessing. Now, Jacob didn't know everything about God, but he knew this. God's blessing would transform him. And God was good enough and worthy enough to trust for that blessing. So that's the problem of striving, the need for blessing. So finally, how do we get it? Let's look at how Jacob got the blessing in this passage. So first, Jacob receives the blessing through his own weakness. So Jacob couldn't receive God's blessing until he was powerless. He was completely alone as he waited for Esau. And then he was completely powerless after God, you know, supernaturally wrenches his hip. But, you know, you might wonder, why did God have to permanently injure Jacob in order to bless him? Why couldn't God just come down and say, Jacob, newsflash, you've been striving your whole life. In the process, you're creating a huge mess for your family, for everybody around you, all sorts of trouble. What you really need is my blessing. So just stop and here it is. Why couldn't God just do that? Well, because that wouldn't have worked. We don't learn what we need in life just from being told. And I'm giving you a sermon telling you what you need to do. You might need to know more than listen if you're going to be transformed. Um, We need to wrestle with God to truly encounter God. And when we really experience God, we will not be the same afterward. This encounter changed Jacob's life forever. A true encounter with the living, holy God will leave you limping somehow. Now, if you encounter the real God, not the God of your imagination, you'll be radically humbled and you will know your weakness. If you walk away thinking, I have something to offer to God, um, or thinking about your inner strength, you've missed God. You've encountered some fantasy. God will strengthen us in our weakness. God will heal us in our brokenness. And God will transform us, but only the real God Not just some God of our imagination. If we're going to be changed by God, we need to come in weakness and we need to be prepared to lose our spiritual bearings. And notice, Jacob receives a new name with his blessing. Jacob will now be called Israel, which means wrestles with God or strives with God. Right? God is giving Jacob a new story for his life. He's saying, Jacob, no longer is your story striving with men it's not to say it's not defined by empty scheming and deceiving you've struggled with god and with man and you have overcome which is a very interesting statement if you think about it i mean has he overcome in his striving god is saying jacob the rest of your life you will cease to strive with men and your life will be defined by a close relationship wrestling and clutching to me so first, Jacob receives this transforming blessing through weakness. But second, Jacob received the blessing because God comes to him in weakness, right? God voluntarily held himself back and came in weakness, right? Notice the text says that God could not overpower Jacob, right? I mean, I read that and I say, come on, God has infinite power, but he, he couldn't overcome Jacob as they wrestled. I mean, obviously, God could easily overpower him. In the text, God lightly taps him, and he's just wrenched apart, right? God holdbacks his power during the match, right? If you think about wrestling, this means God did not lean his full weight on Jacob. Why would God do that? I mean, if God came, if God hadn't come in weakness, if God came in all his power and might, this would be a very short story. I mean, how long do you think the match would last? And how many other injuries do you think Jacob might have received along the way? God had to hold back so that he could bless Jacob. But that still leaves a major problem. How could God bless Jacob? Right? We said, we saw, Jacob is one of the most despicable characters in the Bible. He's constantly swindling, constantly cheating, cheating. Uh, He's a horrible husband, a terrible father. There's not really a single admirable quality in Jacob's life that you see, except maybe this moment. And, you know, if you've learned to read the Bible as a book of people you should emulate, look at the story of Jacob. It's not primarily what the Bible's about. So, how could a holy God bless somebody like Jacob? Right? Jacob has done nothing to earn God's blessing. In fact, Even before Jacob was born, God promised to bless Jacob. Before he was born, before he could do anything to earn it one way or another. So God's blessing was completely unearned. But, I mean, how could God bless somebody like Jacob? You know, as Jacob says, you know, how can he see God face to face and yet his life was spared? The word for glory literally means weight. Now, God has infinite glory, infinite weight. How can Jacob possibly receive the infinite glory of God coming face to face with this infinite glory of God without being ended? I mean, forget Jacob. How can God bless us? I mean, because I look in my heart, like society tells me, and I see selfishness. I see pride. I see rage and anger. And you might not see it because I'm preaching. uh, You know, or I keep it in control most of the time. But it's there. And you see similar things, too. And if you don't, you can ask your spouse or your sibling what they see. How can an infinitely good, infinitely glorious God bless us? Well, God could bless Jacob, and God can bless you, because the Bible tells us there was a true and better Jacob, a true and better Israel centuries later. God's true Israel, the ultimate son of Abraham, ...would come in Jesus. He would come vulnerable in weakness as a baby. God became so weak and vulnerable that he could be killed. And that true Israel, Jesus, would also wrestle with God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stayed up all night wrestling in prayer. And and as Jesus wrestled, asking for God's wrath to pass before him, he submitted to God's will. But God didn't hold back his weight with Jesus... At the cross, Jesus received the full weight of God's judgment in the ultimate unfair wrestling match. Because Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He received the justice we deserve. Instead of a light tap, Jesus took the full blow of God's justice so that we could receive God's blessing. When Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what that meant? He lost God's face in that moment. He lost God's blessing so that you and I would never the father turned his face away so that God would bless us as his children and never turn his face away from us. Jacob clung to God for his blessing at the risk of his life, but Jesus clung to the cross at the guaranteed cost. He knew that he would suffer far greater wounds than, you know, a hip injury. And still he stayed. And what held Jesus to the cross, it's not the nails. What held Jesus to the cross was his unflinching commitment to love you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to bless you. And to buy that blessing for you, whatever it cost. In Israel, the blessing that the, that the, that the priests were instructed to give to the people was The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. The hope of every Israelite was to look upon the face of God and to receive his face as peace and not to be destroyed. And they must have wondered for centuries, how can that be? In Christ, we see how we can receive God's blessing. Our sins are forgiven. And when we see God face to face, we will not perish. But in Christ, we gaze upon the very face of God who gave himself for us, not to crush us, but to cherish us. If you're in Christ, if you put your faith in the work he did for you on the cross, then God offers you his eternal blessing. You are God's sons and daughters. That means that God pronounces on us the fatherly blessing that He gave to Jesus, which is crazy. He says, "You are my child whom I love, with whom I well pleased, not because you 've done anything to deserve it that 's why God could tell Jacob that he has strove and overcome, because in Jesus we get jesus victory that 's what Jacob longed to hear. Jacob longed to overcome. And God's blessing is to overcome for us on our behalf. If you're a Christian, do you rejuvenate yourself by looking for other people or other things to give you blessing? Or do you meditate? Do you grasp God's blessing and love for you in Christ? Examine your hearts. What are you living for? What are you working for? Whose affirmation, yours or someone else's, means more to you than the blessing you have in God? go into God's presence, seek and enjoy and receive the blessing we have in Christ and it will transform you. The deepest longings of your heart, whatever it is that you're grasping for, they're all pointing to your deep longing for God's blessing. And if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure what you believe, there are things that you are hoping for to give you affirmation. Recognize now. I'll I'll spare you the suspense. There's nothing at the top of the mountain. It's always Leah. If you give yourself to any of them to bless you, they will own you and they will disappoint you and you will be crushed and they will drive you into the ground. Your career won't forgive you when you fail it. Your body won't forgive you when you fail it. Your family, your reputation, they won't raise you from the dead, but Jesus will. Jesus promises a blessing that is received. Not achieved you don't need to earn it. You can't earn it and jesus gladly paid the cost for you Jesus is the only one that if you let him own you If you submit to him He will only ever lead you for your good For your flourishing for his glory You can trust him because he gave his life for you The deepest longings of your heart are longings for god's blessing Put your trust in Jesus and receive God's blessing today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you speak a better word over us than any word that we could possibly seek in anything in in this life, anything in this world. God, we pray that you would just unseat the idols of our heart, that you would just take away their power. God, that you would take the blinders off our eyes so that we can see you. And then we can go to you. God, anything that's holding us back, Lord, I pray that you would break those chains and set us free to receive the blessing we have in Christ. Lord, your blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Lord, we know in Christ we are forgiven, we are loved, we are blessed. God, give us the power by the Holy Spirit to receive that blessing and to walk in the life that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.